Sheila Robinson, welcome. Thanks so much for, for coming back. I really appreciate it. Uh, excited to have you. Thank uh, you. Yeah. So we are going to kind of focus in and, and talk about surveys and response rates, kind of like uh, that whole issue. I think that comes up as a question for a lot of people. And I wanted to start off actually by saying, by just asking where broad sort of general question is sort of like surveys for you, like why, why the interest for you in surveys? I mean, you wrote, you co-authored a, a fantastic book on it, on, on surveys, designing quality survey questions. I have it right here. I use it. My students use it. Wonderful. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And uh, but why, why were you, how did you get so interested in surveys and kind of give us that broad perspective first before we sort of jump, jump in uh, or dive in some more? Yeah. Well, the, I think the logical connection came from program evaluation work. So when I started doing program evaluation, of course, designing surveys is often part of that work. And um, I just realized that I enjoy questions and it comes from a long history of being a curious kid and a curious adult and asking people questions. Um, my dad was very much like this. Um, he was someone who asked people all kinds of questions because he was curious. He wanted to get to know people, but he also asked about topics and things. And I guess I pay attention to the way that people ask questions. I kind of listen in when my husband is on the phone with a business making an inquiry. And I think, oh, that I would have asked that question in a different way. So just the art and science, I guess, of asking questions fascinates me. And I know that language makes a huge difference. Every word we choose is important. Um, the way that we speak to each other the, and surveys are ultimately a conversation. And I like that too, that, mm. that uh, it, it's a form of interview and it's getting to know people and their feelings and their knowledge and their interests and so on. So I think the whole thing is just fascinating, but mostly it's around asking questions that, that interests me. Yeah. I love that. I did. I think you had a post about uh, questions, about good questions. Um, uh, I think you had at least one post about that. And it reminds, it reminds me of a quote by Rumi, look for the answer inside the question, something like something like that. And um you know, I think questions are so, so important, you know, like we have them as evaluators, like evaluation questions, you know, starting from that, like a well-formulated evaluation question or a poorly formulated one could really like kind of take the, the study off track. And so how, how key, how important that is, it's sort of underrated. And I think, you know, I think, I think sometimes um, I, I see also with, with folks who are creating surveys that they don't necessarily <clears throat> sort of see the subtlety or see the importance of the the questions, um, the designing questions in a very careful, deliberate way. Maybe just saying, oh, just need to throw, throw to get together a survey. You know, why would I want to read about survey design or that kind of thing? Why would I want to, you know, it's just a, you know, a simple survey and I could, you know, get a survey monkey to tell me what questions to ask or, or whatever, you know, whatever it is, or find them on, on Google or that kind of thing. So that is a great uh, origin story on this uh, on kind of the interest in surveys. So we we're, we're going to focus in today on uh, response rate. I wanted to ask you, kind of starting off the beginning, what uh, why is response rate important? Like, why would you say it's an, it's an important thing? Survey response rate. Yeah. 
Well, in a sense, response rate is everything. I mean, if if no one if no one responds to your survey, you you have no data to answer your researcher evaluation questions. And if you have a low response rate, then you have low confidence in the data that you're receiving. So if we're going to put the effort into designing a high quality survey that's really going to get at these burning questions and help us answer the big, broad evaluation or research questions, then we need to put some effort into thinking about how we can generate the highest response rate possible. We want the most data. I want 100% all the time. Yeah. Never, never gotten it, but, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's what we're, we're hoping for in a sense. I mean, you're not going to survey a thousand people and get a hundred percent response rate. Um, you may be thrilled to get 10% depending on the population. Um, but we're, we're always looking for the most robust data set to help increase our confidence that we've uh, asked the right people and that we have the right data to answer our big questions. Got it. What, what would you say is like, how do you figure out the optimal like response rate or desired response rate when you're doing a study? I, I'm sure you hear that question a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 31.7%. No, I'm just kidding. Exactly. Um, I, I suspected is, that was the, that was it. Yeah. 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 You know, people do want that answer. Sure, I'd love that answer to know, you know, if if we start to talk about, um, you know, statistically, what's a response rate where we can feel confident that our data set is, is robust enough. So much of this depends on context. How many people in your, in your uh, population that you're surveying? Um, and it's, I hate to say it, but especially for program evaluators and so especially for us working in smaller programs where we're not looking at thousands of responses and often we're not looking at many hundreds. Um, some of my largest surveys are only like 600 responses. Um, and we have to figure out how much is enough. It's a good idea to have a conversation with your evaluation team, with your um, clients, with the people involved with the program. It's how much is enough, right? What if we only have 30 people that we need to survey? How many responses are going to feel like, okay, we can we can draw some conclusions or we can inform some recommendations? Um, you know, I hope along with other uh, data points as well. But so there is no easy answer. Right. Um, as I wrote in the blog with my uh, co-author, Kim Leonard, um, sometimes 5% is more than enough. And sometimes 30% isn't even close to what we need. Sometimes I guess response bias can come in. If you have a really small uh, response uh, percent, then you wonder if there's a, a, a bias in terms of who's actually uh, completing the survey, right? And kind of worry about that. So I guess higher the better, but sometimes it's just like figuring out is is our saying sort of like what's what's realistic, like what can we actually get? But we would love a hundred percent, but that's right. uh, not realistic. Yeah. And then you know, it's not response rate isn't just about the numbers. Mm -hmm. It is also um, depending on what demographic questions are in your survey. It's who's responded to the survey. Right. So you can do a family engagement survey in a district with, let's say, a fair amount of diversity, um, racial, ethnic diversity, 
and you can get what looks like a great response rate. You know, hundreds of parents responded to the survey. But if there were only parents of white students, it doesn't matter how many you've you've got a problematic data set. Mm. Um, we once did a survey of just 20 school principals and only eight responded. And six out of the eight wanted meetings to be a certain day and time. That was part of the survey. Okay. And so the administrator in charge said, well, I'm going with the majority. Six out of eight want, and I went, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> six out of 20. So we don't know what those other, maybe they don't care. That's why they didn't answer the survey. Maybe they never saw the emails, maybe, right? Uh -huh. They're just too busy. We have to think about um, beyond the, just the numbers in our response rates. Yeah, that's interesting. So looking at the demographics, that's one way to see if there's a sort of a, a, a bias in response or kind of a over-representation or under-representation of certain, uh, certain groups. Exactly. So looking at that's an important thing. Yeah. So what are the, the tricks, the things you do, um, you recommend to folks you work with to improve response rate? Like what, and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll direct, you know, viewers, people listening to this, to your, your blog post, which I think is super helpful and other, other materials. And of course the book, but could you, could you give us kind of an overview on that? Some of the you know, maybe the, the most impactful ones or most important kind of things, different approaches. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the, the most important things we can do are starting with the survey itself. Let's make the survey um, engaging and interesting to respondents and easy to complete. Now, easy doesn't necessarily mean it has to be only a three-minute survey. Um, you can engage respondents in a longer survey um, if they're interested and invested in responding. So the, the work for response rates starts before the survey is developed. If you have the opportunities, let's say, to meet with members of the population you're looking at, um, what do they want to talk about? What do they want to tell you about? What, what do they want to be asked about? So you could even um, use focus groups to inform the design of the questions. Then let's make the questions understandable and easy to answer. And one uh, place where people often kind of mess up is they end up cramming two or three questions into one uh -huh. because they want to keep the number of questions limited. <laughs> I, my people will only answer a 10 question survey. So I'm going to ask them three things in one question. And questions end up being confusing and it's a lot easier to answer three quick questions, maybe a yes or no question in there mm -hmm. uh, than it is to answer one that you have to read three times and um, try to make sense of. I have an example in the blog post about a really confusing question. And then the kicker is it's question 19 in the survey. Mm. So by the time I've answered 18 questions and number 19, I have to read it three or four times and try to figure out what what it's trying to ask me yeah so i want to just uh so drop the survey by then <laughs> so you might have some uh some discontinuation like uh just folks just like uh, getting rid of just closing it out like like i'm not doing absolutely it. i'm done it's confusing so it's important to have I've straightforward questions not double yes. barreled kind of questions or questions that are just convoluted complex keep them as 
as straightforward as possible, simple as possible is one is one strategy. Okay. That's, Absolutely. That's so let's start with a really good, well-built survey instrument. Okay. Then we think about how do people come to this survey? How are we going to invite them? So let's say if it's typically through an email mm -hmm. um, that tells you about the survey and gives you a link to an online survey, what, <clears throat> excuse me, what is in that email? Um, how are you inviting people? What are you telling them about the survey? How important is this data to you? So if I said, James, uh, this survey is so important for our organization. We want to improve the lives of the people coming to our program year after year or something even more specific than that. Right. Why do we need this data? How are we going to use it? How is your response going to help? And why is it so important? So let's lay the groundwork there so that our respondents feel like, okay, 10 minutes of my time is worth helping not only this organization, but I'm I'm doing my part to help other people. So a bit of context can be helpful. Yes. Right, right at the front end um, to get people to see why it's why the response might be important or can can help in some way. People Absolutely. Sometimes feel helpful. Okay. Yeah. And then, so that's what you can do for us, but what we can do for you, be transparent about how long the survey takes, right? If this is a longer, let's say 15, 20 minute, let's say it, the survey will take 15 to 20 minutes to complete, mm -hmm. especially for a longer survey, maybe offer an incentive. Maybe it's a an incentive that everyone gets, uh, could be a discount on goods and services, could be compensation, direct compensation, um, could be entering into a raffle to win a prize. Mm. Um, people have done all kinds of creative things with incentives. Um, so that's, uh, that's important too. And lastly, reminders. Um, it feels a little like we're bugging people uh -huh. um, to say, hey, you know, I emailed you last week, but I'm emailing <laughs> you this week and I'm going to email you next week. But in those emails, it can say thank you to everyone who's already completed the survey. We are learning so much and it's really exciting. We want to make sure you have an opportunity to have your voice heard too. So mm. here's that link again, right? So each reminder maybe says something a little different. So oh, providing a little bit about meaning, sorry. I, I, so, yeah. so providing a, a bit of that again, like that context again, like, Hey, it's really important. Like it's your, yes. your input is important. So the reminder is not just a reminder, but it's also um, kind of giving, uh, framing it, framing and reminding kind of the, the individual about like what the, the, the purpose of how they could uh, help out or how, what, what they could, the value that they could add by responding to the survey. That's interesting. That's a, absolutely, that's a, yeah, that's a neat way of using reminders. Yeah. And it it's well known in uh, email marketing that you have to have a number of, they call them touches before someone will convert and purchase what you're selling. And in email market, I've heard up to 16 touches before someone will purchase. I am not recommending 16 reminders for a survey, but three or four is is fine and is reasonable. Yeah, sixteen might get you a restraining order, but yeah. <laughs> definitely like a, a few would be uh, would be okay. Because I mean, people forget things, right? Like we're all getting constantly Absolutely. inundated with stress. Because people get 
Like uh, your average person gets probably a survey. I don't know what, I don't know. We'd actually send out a survey to ask about this, but uh, how many surveys do people get a week, you know, or a month? It's, I mean, it's probably, it's, there's, there's something, I don't know. I'd, I'd say I'd probably get one a week, something, you know, like if I include like even like the little text message from AT&T, you know, after I have a phone call or calling up Qualtrics for a question, like, you know, I get it. Yeah, I think like we get a lot of them. So you're competing Absolutely. for you're competing for like a limited resource, someone's attention. So the reminders can be really help, helpful. Can you can you tell me about like incentives? Like what incentives? What what is the best way to use incentives to not use them? Like what do you what what are some thoughts on that? Your experiences around incentives? Yeah. Well, we have to be careful with incentives. They can be they can be used um, um, ineffectively for sure. Right? Pick the wrong incentive and it's not going to help. I've had that experience working with a group uh, on a survey for um, adolescents and teens. And I think we picked an Amazon gift card and that just didn't seem to interest them at all. So Mm. um, it may be that we didn't do enough homework in exploring what would incentivize that group to um, participate in our survey. So finding out what incentive is appropriate for the group is is um, important time spent. Um, making sure it's not any kind of coercion, right? We don't want to get into that kind of territory. It could be compensation, especially for something like a research survey, right? We think about, um, we ask so much of the people who provide us data in various ways that offering them compensation for their time is reasonable. I I don't know if I'd call that a, an incentive necessarily. It's uh-huh. it is in a way, but it's a um it's also a form of, you know, respect and honor to compensate someone for their time. Um but really it's about finding out what what would be interesting to the group. I mean, it's when you're offered a survey and it's, you know, five dollars off of some product that you're not likely to buy yeah it's not going to work but if it's you're entered into a drawing for a 500 visa card yeah sure who among us wouldn't love to have that you know why not gamble yeah. 10 minutes of my time the the raffle kind of approach versus the you know, definitely getting something is do you see any do you know if there's any uh, difference on that in terms of what that does to response rate or uh, what's your what's your pre- your preference? Like you'll oh, there's a chance there's like a you know a chance you'll you'll get a hundred dollar gift card versus uh, you'll get a five dollar dif- gift card for completing this. Like have you thought about that and kind of how to how the, that could be used? Um, those are two different ways and and which what which one might be better in certain certain uh, certain circumstances? Yeah, I haven't been <clears throat> involved in surveys that tested those kinds of options, uh-huh. but. Um, but I think it's putting your heads together for the particular context. Um, and uh, so let's say the budget is equal, right? You could or um, offer $5 because you're only expecting 100 responses, or you can offer a raffle for um, a $500 gift right. card, right? right. So right. let's say the budget isn't, isn't uh, going to change. You have to figure out who who these respondents are, right? So um, 
what's going to be more enticing, a chance at a larger prize or a smaller prize that probably doesn't mean all that much? The, uh, the timing of, of incentives. There's, there's at least one study, maybe more, that have looked at sort of like giving the incentive before. Like, like if you have pre-post tests or follow-up tests, like actually giving the incentive before, like a pre-test, let's say, if you're doing like a longitudinal or a you know study where you're collecting data over multiple points in this and the the rash and and with the argument that oh, you give people the incentive before, they'll feel more compelled or they'll feel sort of emotionally, I don't know what's operating, but maybe guilt or or something, you know, some some kind of something's operating there where they feel like more compelled to complete that follow-up survey or post-test survey. Have you had any experience with that, kind of like the timing of it versus just saying, okay, we're going to give it to you when you're done with that final survey, the, the post-test, let's say, in our in our example here. Any, any thoughts on that or, uh, yeah. I haven't been involved with surveys who, where they gave the incentive prior to the survey, yeah. but it it's operating on the principle of reciprocity. Um, oh, okay. I see. Cialdini's yeah. powers are principles of influence and persuasion. Um, okay. yeah. And it's the Great. same charities operate on that principle too. The ones that uh -huh. send a, you know, a quarter pasted to the thing, or they send uh, yeah. a dollar in the envelope before you donate. Um, or the ones that, you know, they're sending you, um, address labels and notepads and all kinds of stuff. So it's that same principle. If I give you something first, I'm thinking that there's a greater likelihood that you'll give me something back. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that works with me. That tends to work with me. If I get like my, you know, the, you know, my, those, those, yeah, the address labels you get a lot of, you know, those, those kind of things. I feel more compelled, like, oh, I have to, I have to you know, give something back. So it's the same kind of principle. That's that's interesting. Absolutely. And uh, so if I had a whole uh, population of respondents like you, mm -hmm. now I know my strategy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so the the length of the survey, um, you know, do you have this? Sometimes I have with folks I work with, people I work with, where we're trying to figure out a survey, what we want to include. and there's, you know, the sense, you know, from the from the team, you know, or that I might be working with, consulting with, or whatever, that we, we there's a lot we want to get at. So we'd rather have like a longer survey to get all this good stuff. And then I'll sort of try to get them to narrow that. And so there's a bit of bit of attention sometimes because I I also, you know, I've done this a bunch where I'll I know like the length of the survey tends to be like inversely related to response rate, but I'm wondering if that's actually the case or not. Like, can you speak about length of survey and how that, how important that is to the response rate? And, and I guess you, you talked a little bit about this already, but the complexity of the, of the survey itself or the items and everything. Uh, I, I guess you talked about that already. So maybe like length of the, the survey or anything else you have to add. Yeah. Sure. Well, um, length of the survey. So if, if I am um, surveying a a huge group, if I'm a business just putting out a marketing kind of survey and it's uh, half an hour long, I don't think I'd expect much of a response rate. Yeah. But if I'm in a program evaluation and I need to survey the program participants and I really do have a lengthier set of questions, 
I know I can get a better response rate by building survey time into the program activities. So then it becomes about mm. administration, right? Is, is it asking people for 30 minutes of their time outside of the program or their work or what have you? Um, that's that's much harder to get a good response rate. Um, there were times that we had a thousand teachers working on a survey. It was 175 questions. So we gave them back their staff meeting time. No staff meeting today. You're contractually obligated to be here for an hour. Complete and we're asking everyone to I do the it. survey with that That's out. Great. Right. So you're um you're doing that survey administration in a way that makes it more likely that people will complete it. Um, so That's yeah, you can do a longer survey. It just, you have to think through uh, the logistics. I like that sort of building in the time. You know, I just, I just gave a talk at a conference where they, they, they use those, uh, the uh, satisfaction kind of surveys, you know, or the feedback surveys. And it never occurred to me, like, you know, just just having some time at the end of the presentation, like, go ahead, okay, go ahead and open the link and complete it. Because once people leave and they go on to the next session or whatever, it's really hard to get them to do that. So that's a, that's a great idea. And then also when you're doing like a pre-post test or whatever for, for participants in a program to build it in right there. So Absolutely. They, they before you leave, you got to complete this or please complete this, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do a lot of work with professional development and building feedback surveys and using surveys in uh, evaluating training programs. And of course, we get the best response rates when survey time is built right into the program time. We get terrible response rates from uh, situations where people attend, uh, could be conference sessions or other training sessions, and then a day, two days later, they get emailed a survey link. We get dismal response rates that way. Mm. I should have known that. All right. Well, it's good to good to know that. I won't make that mistake again. <laughs> All right. Um, are there any ways to predict response uh, response rate prior to going live with a survey? Like, are you know, piloting or doing anything like when you're trying? Like, let's say you have in your mind, you like you, you or you you've set it with the, the the people you're working with. Okay, we really want to get a certain response rate. Like, how do you test out? Uh, if you can sort of test that out, what you might be, uh, what you might anticipate getting, or how do you sort of predict that? Yeah. Well, I think you did it. You you said it with piloting, right? Okay. And you right. know, this is this is time consuming and could be costly. But you know, let's say you have a thousand people that you have to survey. You really are counting on a good, robust response rate. Um, if you can do a random sample of, I don't know, thirty, fifty. 75 and see what response rate you get there. Uh-huh. That is probably a good proxy as long as your sample was representative. Um, but it is it is uh time consuming. But right. if you are running a longer survey, I mean, or or for a larger population, it's probably worth it. If you find it's a very low response rate, then you can make adjustments. You can yes. just kind of fit you to, to kind of tweak it and make it a bit, uh, hopefully a, a better resp response rate. So yeah. seeing what you might might actually get and then in terms of response rate and then making adjustments if needed. So that in order to improve the response rate, if it doesn't kind of get to the to the threshold or the, the level that you, you were hoping to get, get at. You can, yeah. um, you can even add a few questions for your pilot test. Ah. What 
what made this survey easy to answer? What made this survey challenging? Um, how was your survey experience? Why did you want to answer this survey? Or if you didn't want to, what made you actually do it? Right. You can can find some things out in the pilot test that can help you make some adjustments. Oh, great idea. So you got to add some questions there to get sort of feedback about the process. A little kind of meta kind of. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. That's a great idea. Love that. OK. Um, any other survey related things? Um, anything uh, reten uh, sorry, response rate related things related to surveys or anything else that kind of stands out for you that we haven't covered? Uh, anything else? Well, one thing is considering who the survey is coming from. Um, uh, for some populations, it may make sense for the survey to come from within the organization. Hmm. Um, for some, it's more likely they'll complete the survey if it comes from an outside research firm. Um, and for some, it depends on um, the name of the person. Um, for example, as a program evaluator, people may not want the survey to come from me, but uh, I worked in public schools for most of my career. So if it comes from the superintendent, maybe more likely people will complete the survey or the union president if it's a survey for teachers or something like that. So just considering whose name is on it or the, what name, what organization name is on it, because that influences response as well. Um, and even the name of the survey. Um, what are you calling the survey? Right. So typically we call it something that makes sense to us, right? <laughs> yeah. Just the way we name our files, uh -huh. right? But yeah. let's think about what would be engaging to potential respondents. What, what'll make it sound like this is a really interesting survey and important data that they're collecting. Mm, love it. Yeah. Right. So the title of the survey, important. And, and, and then in terms of who it's coming from, so you could, so you can imagine sometimes where uh, having it come from an outside uh, organization or outside person could actually be helpful. Right. And then the other way around. Yes. Yes, because it it and there's usually a statement of anonymity and confidentiality. Yeah. And so now I as a respondent, I feel a little bit better because I want right. to tell this organization how I really feel. And I know only the independent researchers have access to the raw data. And usually they make that sort of thing clear. Right. Um, but there may be times where you're working with an external evaluator or research uh, firm but you want the survey to come from within the organization. Uh -huh. That's fine too, but it's it's just something to consider along the way as you're uh, building the survey and get ready, getting ready to administer it. Great, well, all very helpful advice. So last thing, um, uh, which can I ask you kind of now, now at this point in your in your career and kind of where, where you're at and then and in terms of where the applications are at that are out there, the survey tools, what what do you tend to like to use? Um, you know, what are what are the ones that when people ask you, hey, which survey application should I, you know, go for or, or get into or subscribe to or pay for or whatever it is? What do you what do you say? What do you well you know? I I'm not sure I'm the best one to give advice on this because historically I've been the one who designs the questions and creates the survey and somebody else inputs it in a, okay, right. a particular platform. So the one I'm most familiar with is SurveyMonkey and it's grown over the years. It's it's much more feature laden than it ever has been. Um, so I think that's always a good 
choice. I don't know where their pricing structures are these days. I've only heard great things about Qualtrics. Um, I think they have a, a pretty substantial price tag, but I've only heard good things about them. Mm-hmm. If there's no budget, you know, using Google Forms or Microsoft Forms, I'm not a huge fan because of the limited customization and the limited question types right. and the visual formatting. Um, but when you have no budget, that's that's where you go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so go where go where you can to input your survey. I think you can't go wrong with the bigger. Um, companies like SurveyMonkey and Qualtrics. I know there are plenty others out there. Um, One thing that I will say is the data visualization that they churn out is still leaving me wanting. (laughs) So um, a lot of times you're exporting it and doing it. So that's some, some of the other work I do is in data viz. And so no matter what tool it comes from, I always say, give me the spreadsheet, give me the raw data and let me do the analysis and the data viz. Also those, um, some of those tools don't necessarily analyze the data in the way that I would. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So a lot of times you'll export it and, and do it yourself. Got it. Absolutely. Okay, great. All right. Where, where can people uh, kind of follow what you're doing? And uh, I know you have a, a great uh, newsletter and you, you have some, uh, I think you're active on uh, social. Where where can people kind of stay in touch? How, how, do, how do people connect with you? Yeah. Well, you can find me at SheilaBRobinson.com. I always use that middle initial because I have a common name. So my website, SheilaBRobinson.com, that's where you can subscribe to my newsletter, The Learning Curve, uh, monthly right now. Um, Also find me on LinkedIn, again with the B, Sheila B. Robinson. I'm on Twitter for the moment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but Very I think well. I uh, I'm pretty committed to staying with LinkedIn. Okay, great, great. Well, we'll I'll see you on there. And uh, thanks, thanks so much. Some great uh, tips here, ideas, strategies. So really appreciate it. Good talking with you again. Thanks, Sheila. Great talking with you again, James. And thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Thanks. <laughs>